Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 11, which is titled The Gift. The episode aired on December 15th, 1994. And some headlines for you going on 25 years ago this week. Uh, in interesting space news, which we don't really get too much of, um, even anymore, really. Uh, a 10 meter long, which is approximately 35 foot long uh, meteor, named dubbed 1994 XM1, passed within 108,000 8, kilometers of Earth, setting a record at the time for the closest pass by an asteroid of that size, which I found quite interesting. Um, I'm also a huge nerd. Yes, thank you for asking. Uh, that record was held until 2003 when one passed uh, about about the same size passed within 88,000 kilometers. And Lauren, what was the top of the box office and the top song this week? Top of the box office is Disclosure with a quaint, by 2019 standards, $10 million opening. I don't know if I've seen Disclosure. That doesn't ring a bell to me. I was looking at the Wikipedia for it when I was looking at the box office, and it said something about an erotic thriller yeah. with mm, okay. Richard Gere or yeah, something like that. That'd or, do it. And then um, we're still on our boys to men grind here with "On Bended Knee" is the number one song for our second week in a row here. And I just want to take a minute since Lizzie did the awesome work of the headlines tonight. I want to take a minute and just thank everybody who's been listening up to this point. We've got a pretty nice little cachet i can't think of the right word nice little nice little following yeah a nice little set of regular listeners and it just it means a lot to see those numbers stay steady each week so thank you for those of you who've been tuning in weekly and keeping up with us it's yeah. been really nice we've been consistently having our we've been consistently growing our on the updates the episode releases like we'll hit we'll hit a new high in downloads and then another new high in daily downloads and it's just really awesome to see so thank you thank you very much so this week's episode, we've got 20... This is also, we should mention, too, this is our last episode of 1994. We are leaving 1994 behind after this one. Um, no. Yeah. I don't actually care. <laughs> uh, 27.8 million viewers for this episode. So we're still kind of in the midst of our holiday lull, if you can call 27.8 million people watching one thing on television a lull. Uh, this is kind of still the middle of that lull and we're going to start climbing once we get into the new year we're going to start climbing up to some numbers that seem absolutely ridiculous there's only 10 shopping days left or 9 shopping days left until Christmas at this point in 1994 people those those couple million people that aren't watching they got to get their stuff that's right they've all got to get to Kmart and Sears and all those other chain department stores that don't exist anymore so getting to the episode proper uh, we're going to like we're going to let Carter bring us in this time around uh, as he talks to a sleeping Santa. 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 Mr. Claus, wake up. Santa, you okay? Santa. I must have dozed off. I woke up feeling a little dizzy. Must be those double shifts. <laughs> Going back, we'll check you out. Oh. Hey. Oh. 
Oh, my gosh, it's 10 o'clock. Kids will be lined up for blocks. I, I gotta go. Oh, I think you ought to see a doctor first. Oh, no, I'm already late. At least let me check your pressure, okay? You taking any medication? Um, I, I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, thanks, young man. Thanks anyway. So if it wasn't obvious from that clip, uh, we are have our Christmas episode of season one. Yay! Happy holidays, everyone. Um... From a salty retail worker. Yeah, I'm a Grinch. <laughs> you know, 14 years and doing retail ho- retail Christmas time is just... It just leaves you so bitter. It just leaves your soul, like, just just shriveled and dead. I've got enough Christmas spirit for the both of us. Swear to God, if I hear all I want for Christmas is you one more time, I will personally find out and punch Mariah Carey. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Santa has to leave to get to work. You know, tis the season for kids to get their picture taken with santa uh notably it's a black santa yeah nice touch yeah so yeah we'll see we will see uh, this gentleman again later in this episode you know unfortunately and then we go over to susan and mark having a chat about christmas and mark's like yeah i got some skates for rachel and he's like but i only have six shopping hours left till christmas and i don't have a present for jen yet i have no idea what to get her and Susan's like, oh, go, go ahead. You know, I'll cover your, sh- I'll take your patience and cover for you if you go shop for an hour. I've, I've got it handled. And then Mark's like, oh, great, thanks, perfect. And he immediately hands her like five charts, and then she gets three from uh, Lydia, and it just like builds up. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh God, what have I done? And then on top of that, she gets handed her secret Santa gift. So it looks like the ER is doing secret Santas. Wonder who hers could be. Mm-hmm. So. Susan's about to have a very overwhelming shift. Also, nice job, Mark. Just way to be. <laughs> Whatever. Another sign that their relationship is crap. How shocked are we? I know. At this point, I shouldn't be surprised, but it's like, Mark, you could you you could do at least. I suppose. Okay. Never mind. I'm I'm not gonna go into a rant. <laughs> <laughs> oh please do. Happy holidays. I was gonna say, like, Mark, you have all this wonderful you have all this time you know like i was thinking in 2019 terms like oh yeah we have the internet he's gotta actually go to macy's i'm sorry marshall fields and amazon (laughs) and all of this stuff where i'm just like oh i haven't gotten lauren a christmas present yet and i'm like oh i'm not worried in the slightest because it's december 5th when we're recording this and (laughs) you don't have my present yet no (laughs) Who says you're even getting one this year? I'm not going to make the obvious joke there. Anyway, Daniel, what do we have next? So, yeah. So, in a theme, establishing the theme for the episode, Mark cannot get out to go get this gift. He is going to keep getting interrupted, and this is the uh, the first instance of that. Uh, we get a father and a son brought in. Um, the father, played by Michael Bowen, who I did not recognize when I watched the episode, but now... Uh, that I know who he is, I instantly um, recognize him. Uh, Michael Bowen, um, he has a semi-recognizable role from Kill Bill, but his most recognizable character is Uncle Jack, the white supremacist in Breaking Bad. Oh! Yeah. Okay. Like, once who you know... Kill Bill? Um, fuck, I'm trying to remember the character's name. It's, um... You're gonna make me look it up. Like I'm looking I, it up right now. Okay, because I fucking love those movies. Or yeah, that movie, however you want to call it. But so he comes in uh, with his son Murray, who is played by Curtis Blank, 
um, who doesn't really have a very memorable or, or notable IMDb other than uh, he once played young Job in Arrested Development uh, for an episode. So I would be interested to go back and connect those dots. And he was he was Buck in Kill Bill. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. okay. it's it's a two. Uh, hey, it's that guy for the price of one. Yeah, you, you get a double the there. Wagon. All right. Gross. <laughs> what the car is I called. Know, I know, but still. So uh, Murray fell in the lake. Uh, Dad took him ice fishing, and he ran out ahead and fell through the ice. So he was submerged underwater for several minutes. Um, he's pretty much frozen. I think uh, uh, in passing, they kind of mentioned that his core body temperature is 80, which is not good. Um, he's not breathing. Um, they uh, try to get clear the water out of his lungs, and then they start bagging him. Um, and then weirdly, like out of nowhere, the dad gets all up in their workspace, uh, in the trauma room. And he's like, starts praying over him and getting really like, it, it's over the top. Like, and it comes out of nowhere and it's very, and they're, they're basically like, sir, you need to leave, sir. This is a Wendy's. Like you can't be doing that (laughs) in here. Um, yeah. And so that takes us into the intro. We start with another bang. Uh, I think we have our count now at nine bangs one tinkle <laughs> let's let's hope that's everyone's ratio i'm <laughs> i'm sorry we can start going back to calling it the proper term of twinkle i apologize it's just i have crinkle tinkles from adventure zone stuck in my head Which i one? never knew where he got that from yeah. and you were just listening to adventure zone randomly in the other yeah. room the crinkle tinkles last night and i was like oh wait But after the intro, we come out and uh, Carol is microwaving saline. So they can inject it into our young cold boy, Mr. Murray. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't seem like safe or ideal or like correct. It's like, uh, so I do have, I do have um, through... (laughs) No, I, I personally don't have, but I through my much more intelligent, much more qualified wife, uh, I do nurse have. Gen. We we need a nurse gen jingle. We do, we do. Um, so time to get more work from Andrew. We talked about uh, we talked about this actually um, as I was doing the prep work for this episode. So basically, um, the answer for a lot of these early season questions about the medical the the efficacy of these medical procedures is basically. Um, not anymore is the answer like would someone do this and the answer is almost always not anymore (laughs) like so we have to keep reminding ourselves that this is you know 1994 this is 25 years ago medical technology has advanced quite a bit and so under no circumstances in 2019 unless it was like an absolute emergency and the hospital had no other source of warming other than the microwave um they would not be microwaving saline to inject into a patient's iv no um but and it kind of for the same reason that I noted when I was making making my notes about this episode was basically like if the outside of a hot pocket can go nuclear in 30 seconds, I'm willing to bet that those saline bags would burn the fuck out of Carol's hands. And she's not using a, a napkin. I mean, a, a towel or a rag or anything to carry them with. She's just carrying them in her bare hands. Um, and that's basically what uh, Nurse Jen said, too, is like you're going to heat the bags way faster than you're going to heat the liquid inside. So it's not even that effective of a, a warming method, but she was like, I guess maybe I could see if they had no other options or like they were trying to go as fast as possible. That might've been their best course of action, but she said it was a weird choice at best. 
the next course of action, aside from putting in Hot Pocket saline packets into him, <laughs> is they call for a plural lavage to warm up his heart. Now, did Nurse Jen provide you with an answer for what this was? She did. Um, so basically, a plural lavage is you're in your um in this case so there's two um lavage terms that we get semi-regularly on the show there's um this one which is less common than the other one which is peritoneal lavage um and it's essentially where you are um injecting warmed fluid into an area um to either um in this case warm um a body like circulate it through the bloodstream and and hopefully warm up the raise the core temperature or um to kind of wash out or um i think we saw it used in a previous episode to kind of indicate internal bleeding because mm. it flushed out some of the blood from the uh, cavity oh okay yeah so but in a pleural lavage so peritoneal lavage is basically just kind of like the side of the um core like they just make an incision and they insert a tube and they um they uh push fluid in warm fluid in um with a pleural lavage it goes in through a tube like almost like an intubation tube so it goes down into um the like bronchial passages and everything like that so it's a little bit different and she wasn't as familiar with um this procedure because she said that that's typically not something that nurses do like it's typically something that's handled between um a doctor and a specialist um so it's kind of and also too this is another one that like they have more efficient ways of doing that now so they typically would not go with this procedure um to accomplish the goal that they're using it for in this episode fascinating the more we know i love nurse jen she's the best um and then after that we have uh carter and benton going to the roof to get a helicopter patient um carter still has his trusty suspenders on so you know you know, say what you will about that, Dan. <laughs> Team suspenders. <laughs> you know, Benton, just keep reminding Carter, just keep your head down up there because I've never even been around a helicopter, but it just seems like it would be super confusing and super chaotic. Just and, even. And super dangerous. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Foreshadowing. But yeah, Carter's actually taking, is actually getting the history from the EMT, which I just, it, it's a little, it's a little growth touch that Lauren and I appreciated while we were watching. Um, that like he's actually being trusted to get an accurate history from the EMT instead of Benton just being like fuck you I'll do it. Um, we have a 25 year old uh, gentleman who was crashed a snowmobile with no helmet. Friendly reminder to use your helmets when you're doing any sort of uh, recreational vehicular operation. Yeah, that's a that's a good word for it. Let's go with that. That's a lot of words for it. But that's that's a good phrase for it. How about that? So yeah, he's basically not in great condition. The guy says he has a Glasgow score of four, which that is a reference to the Glasgow, Glasgow, however you say it. Glasgow. Glasgow. Um, coma scale, which the lowest you can get on that is three, Ugh. which means if you have a three, that means your eyes won't open, you have no verbal response, and you have no motor responses whatsoever. So that basically means you're brain dead. Although granted, a four means you're basically brain dead as well. Um, Yikes. Yeah, it goes all the way from from three to 15. So this gentleman is not in good condition. He could be on veggie tails. <laughs> <laughs> that got me. God damn it. 
but they get down to the trauma room and Carter and Benton are discussing, you know, different ways to relieve intracranial pressure, you know, how to keep the guys to decompress the guy's brain essentially, you know, in a safe way. Because it's swelling. Yeah. So when you have a head when you have head trauma, your brain tends to swell, so that can lead to you having all sorts of issues. Um and Carter's like immediate first response is to do a burr hole, which Ben's like spoken like a true surgeon, but no. <laughs> so proud. So then we go from uh there we go back to check on uh, Murray, who uh, his core temperature is heating up and his heart rate is stabilizing, so we've got we've got good good signs there. Um, we jump over and uh, check in with Mark and Doug, who are discussing Hathaway's pending engagement party. Because um, remember, her and Tag have gotten engaged now, and we find out surprise of the century: Doug is not invited. Could it be because he's what? trash? I think so. Oh, we have some good Doug trash. In we this have. Episode, I would I'm argue so we have peak Doug trash in this episode. He's been so well behaved for the past few episodes. We had to know he was gonna fuck up. He was due. Yeah. So then Mark um, pulls the dad aside and says, "You know, Murray's stable, but we don't know how he'll respond to treatment. You know, we don't know how long he was without oxygen. Just be prepared. Something could go wrong." And then we swing over to Regina, who is another regular secondary character. We've seen a few episodes now. She's the um, mentally ill woman who often appears like as a quick maybe five-second clip just to be agitated as a transfer to another situation that's going on. And we have this lovely little clip of their interaction with her as she's in the ER again. Regina's still agitated. Would you take a quick peek? Do I have a choice? Claims a Grinch spiked her egg? No. Do it's my party. It's my party. It's my party. Can't you cry if she party. wants to? Cry if she wants to. Cry if she wants to. You would cry too if it happened to you. Give her five hal doll. It's just a nice little interaction and shows like, okay, these are regular patients. They know what works with them. They know kind of how to deal with them. And Mark still can't get out of the hospital to go fucking shopping. Yeah, that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this entire thing. Um, then we cut back over to Benton, Carter, and the um, the comatose head injury. Um, this guy's brain dead, and they want to harvest his organs, you know, like you can do from a brain dead person. Um they can save a lot of lives so organ donation is a hell of a thing and i highly recommend it i don't know <laughs> endorse it endorse, endorse it. yeah better <laughs> um yeah organ donation is a great thing and i highly endorse it um so I'll, in, I'll be doing it so yeah state of illinois um i don't know how it is everywhere else but like if you sign the back of your driver's license or at least this is how it used to be i don't know how it how it is anymore i keep forgetting to update my stuff i'm a hypocrite i know don't at me you can just sign the back of your driver's license in a certain spot and basically means hey i want to donate my organs go nuts like if an emergency happens and you find me and you see my id this gives you consent yeah um but hicks um dr hicks goes against that which bugged the shit out of me um 
and tells Benton, no, you need to get consent from the family before you start harvesting his organs. And, you know, even though he's completely brain dead, no hope of recovery, and, you know, time is usually of the essence with stuff like this, um, which we'll find, which we'll see more of later. I... Yeah, like it's she, just... She says something like family before ID. Not, yeah. Or so something not, like that. Not like, quite in those words, but, like... Yeah, she's overly cautious just, about it. Like, she... Legally, she doesn't need it, but for some reason, she's got this moral hang-up about it, and it's it's one of the few times, at least thus far, that I feel like I see Benton's point of view above someone else's. Like, just, you've already got it. Like, you, you have to remove the emotion from this type of situation. Like, he's brain dead. He's not gonna recover. Just harvest yeah, the organs. Help someone can, else. Yeah, and you can help, you know, up to, like, uh, I forget it's how many it is, but, like, it's somewhere around, like, a dozen people, like, you can help with, you know, depending on what kind of injury you sustained that rendered you in, not, in the state. Because it's not just your major organs, it's also, like, your skin, your eyes, like... Yeah, your corneas, different stuff, different random stuff like that that can just help a lot of people. So, yeah, organ, organ donation. It's a good thing. Two thumbs up. Yeah, two thumbs up from the Setting the Tone crew. And then, um, so Mark finishes with Regina, and we think he's good. And then he gets pulled right back in for the next emergency patient. Womp, womp, womp. So we get a guy who has been electrocuted by his Christmas lights because we can't forget this is a Christmas episode. We have to be reminded about that every 10 seconds. Um, this guy is played by Paul Eiding. I hope I'm saying that right. E-I-D-I-N-G. Um, and he was like, particularly later in this interaction, um, I felt like he was a little like over the top. Like I felt like he was really, he was he was going for it here. Um, but apparently he's a very prolific and very um, celebrated voice actor. Um, he's hmm. got parts in both uh, both of the Incredibles movies. Um, he's particularly a big uh, games uh, voice actor. He has uh, been in the Fallout series, uh, Metal Gear Solid, um, and he was also in the uh, animated Transformers movie from 86. So he's got a pretty prolific um, hmm. filmography um, as a voice actor. Um, but in this episode, he, he tried to tap into the main power box to get more power for his Christmas lights. I kept flashing back to the Christmas vacation, <laughs> the, <laughs> plugging in the Christmas lights. Like That's what I was envisioning here. Um, and then this, this quote here kind of illustrates where I felt like his performance was a little like over the top and on the nose. It was like, he says, like, my heart what could that machine tell about a broken heart? Like he's so upset Ugh. about, yeah. Like it's just blech. like, I don't know. I, I, he grew on me later in the episode, but this first interaction, I was not a fan of his. And then Doug stops by to Carol about uh, Murray's prognosis. And he's just like, if you're going to drown, do it in cold water regarding brain damage. I guess that he's thinking maybe it preserves the chances. So it's interesting that we have two different patients that might have different outcomes here. Preserves the brain function. Yes, thank you. That's what I meant. Not preserves brain damage. Um, and then Susan is like, why haven't you, like, oh, did you get anything yet? And Mark's like, I haven't gone yet. She goes, what's the problem? And he goes, too many patients, not enough residents. She goes, okay, well, go now. Just be back by lunch. I'm starving. And then, nope, here's a stabbing. That's not going to happen. Um 
and we flash back over to Benton and Hicks and Carter and Carter with the 25 year old coma patient and Carter just he he never outwardly voices this but in the first couple scenes with this guy he just really seems like just non-verbally he just kind of looks like he wants to try and save him like he just feels really like it looks like he's really uncomfortable with just them jumping immediately to organ donation it's never voiced it's not something that's really really like front and center of the episode but just that's how i read him in these first couple scenes about this patient so we get our first of two uh special appearances in this episode it's not the one that lauren wants though not i'm so excited at least not yet but patrick is back and this yay yeah i know like i feel like both of the the appearances we get in this episode this one and the one we're building to are both strangely placed like i feel like patrick had his sweet christmas moment in i guess was it the last one um like and i felt like we've we left it in a good place like i felt like we didn't really need to go right back to that well um but he comes in he's got a cut on his head he's lost his helmet so mark has to stitch him up he asks carol for some chocolate milk um they're asking him you know what happened how did this happen what happened to your helmet and he's just kind of avoiding them so it's really it's a strange appearance for Patrick. I think it's probably the strangest appearance thus far. Um, and physically he looks different too. I guess it could be just the loss of the helmet. Um, and also the way he's dressed too. Like he's dressed a lot more sharply in this episode. Like he's got like a nice sweater on and like nice pants and stuff. He's not dressed in like a hoodie that's cut off the sleeves like he's got before. Um, well, but it ages him up a I'm lot. Won- I'm wondering with that two things. One, the missing helmet and his avoidance of it. I'm wondering if maybe I can't remember if they if they come back to this later. But for some reason I feel like it ties into some story about him like being picked on for it. Hmm. And so he stops wearing it. I could completely be hallucinating that and just, it didn't it didn't Patrick's, happen this way. But I Patrick's like a it, weird character. I I I know he's yeah. there, but I can never remember for how long and I can never remember what sort of like storyline resolution we get with him. I th- I feel like he's one that just sort of gets bobbed and just disappears. But I don't remember for sure. So there's that. And then the other thing I was going to say is maybe the reason he's more sharply dressed is he's not staying with his dad right now. His dad's out of town. It could be that the neighbors who are, like, keeping an eye on him, maybe they helped him. Maybe. Like, maybe they had a little more time to devote to taking care of him. But we are taken to the desk after that. Uh, We have a couple different things going on there. First off, we have Benton... (laughs) <laughs> typing in the most 90s hacker way yes. yeah thank you i couldn't think of a of a way to describe it but that's perfect in the most 90s hacker way possible just typing way too many keys for what he's saying he's typing and but it does ultimately have some benefit to it um he is searching for potential donors for the guy um or potential recipients for the guy who's brain dead for his organs so like even before he gets consent from a family member he's already jumping the gun there you know way to be benton um that won't come back to bite him in the ass at all no not at all exactly um and then we also in that same area we have uh carol finds patrick a temporary helmet 
but he doesn't want it because it's not the bears <laughs> and it's not his um but you mentioned before that you know patrick actually looks like a human being in this one and like that's a very nice sweater he has on it is it's a very nice sweater yeah um but we also find out that no one even knows that he's at the er so it's like i kind of want to meet patrick's family at some point here i know yeah he really is he's like the underdeveloped side character i guess we we talked about this one when patrick first showed up he kind of took over the mantle of ivan of the most significant but least developed side character that we have we see him again and again but i feel like even ivan got a little bit more of the like escalation factor of like we saw him you know with the gun and the whole thing but with patrick it's just like he just kind of wanders in and we never really get a ton of fleshing out of the backstory he's just kind of there to provide these like warm and fuzzy notes i guess like he's just a strangely strangely utilized character i feel like he's going to be more utilized than you're remembering again i could be hallucinating but i seem to recall there being more to his story he doesn't get bobbed i don't think but we shall see we shall see i'm wrong about a lot so we'll find out if this is one and then we get one of susan's patients for the episode she comes in super nervous like oh you know my stomach's been in a lot of pain and you know, my, my boyfriend or my fiance, whatever, insisted like, hey, go get it checked out. You know, my my nephew or what my distant relation just had his appendix, so you need to go check that out and make sure it's nothing serious. And it turns out this woman is 12 weeks pregnant. And at first I thought it was going to be an oh no situation, but she was super excited about it. So yay. Yay surprise pregnancies, <laughs> I guess. So, Lauren, I do not want to burst your bubble, but I have two things on Patrick. Okay. Number one, the because I don't think we've ever mentioned this before. Um, the actor who plays Patrick, his name is Kevin Michael Richardson, and he has an astounding over 500 credits on IMDb. What the shit? Yeah. My man is prolific. Um, go go check it out if if you need a minute. I don't have time to go through it here. My second point on Patrick he is getting bobbed and he is okay. and he is getting bobbed in this episode this is the last appearance of patrick <gasps> really there's no way this is it this is the last there's we no see way. of patrick yep i am looking at it on imdb right now and i kind of thought that was the case i kind of thought he was one that just disappeared and yep he is no yep three episodes is all you get from patrick which is crazy to think about. In a show with 331 episodes, this guy was in three episodes, and yet he's one that I was immediately like, oh, yeah, Patrick. Like, he makes an immediate impact. I mean, not a narrative way, but just like, you're just happy to see him. No. So. I'm sorry. I'm, gonna, while, I'm done with this podcast. So while Lauren, I, it's not worth while it. Lauren processes that, we jump over and check on Carter, who's getting puked on by a kid that ate some of his mom's poinsettia plant. Uh, the kid is played by EJ De La Pena, which is just such a name. Um, his most famous credit, which is not that famous, but he was on three episodes of Boy Meets World playing Herman Stacchino, which I remember Frankie Stacchino. I do not remember Herman Stacchino, so I have to imagine that was a little brother character that only sort of kind of floated around in the background, but... Uh, that's his most famous uh, famous credit there 
but um, he's Carter is doing the examination in front of Carol and Doug, who ostensibly I think Doug is supposed to be like kind of walking him through this and like coaching him, I guess, but he's more interested in talking to Carol and Carter's not paying attention and gets puked on. And yeah, they're like Carter. Yeah. Carter. So Carter, (laughs) Carter, Carter gets some sage advice from Doug as he's being let out of the room. Got to know when to jump, buddy. Well, he is still a student, so we'll give him a little pass on that for now. Um, but we got back over to Susan giving uh, giving a little gift to the guy that had all of his lights short out, giving him some of the old Christmas lights from the ER decorations to help him feel better about his failings. He's an idiot and tried to hijack a public power box. It's a failing. That's almost... That's, Almost worse than Clark Griswold. Those lights are so old looking, too. Like, they look like death traps themselves. They've got, like, liquid in them. Like, no, no. I I wasn't paying too much attention to them, but, yeah, I just know that. Yeah, as he's moving them around, like, he's like, oh, these are the classic ones. You can't find these anymore. Like, you can see they've got liquid in them of some kind. And I'm just like, do we really want to give the guy who just electrocuted himself with lights the old, like, 50s or whatever, like, death trap lights? Does that seem like a good idea? but maybe not but then jerry is immediately like looking at the looking for the christmas lights and is like first someone eats all the christmas popcorn off the tree now the lights are missing and he's just jerry's just having a day and we do a quick scroll by bob there she's got some nice lipstick on she's done her hair she just had a major glow up in this episode like she doesn't say anything she's just like "Hmm, i don't know but we're here for it yeah we're here for it go bob I really don't believe you about Patrick, but we'll just, we'll see. I know you're right, but I don't want you to be. Um, and then we go back to Doug is treating an older woman. Uh, her name is Mrs. Abernathy. And she's just, she's talking about how she can't sleep real well. And it comes up that she might be depressed. And not too much really happens with her. They just kind of use this as an opportunity to highlight the fact that sometimes people are blue around the holidays. They're, yeah, they well, two th- two points on her. First of all, actress's name is Priscilla Pointer. Her most famous credits are Blue Velvet, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and the Twilight Zone movie. We- a lot of weird filmographies in this episode. Second point on her, though, is that there's a point later in the episode that I don't think we really highlighted because it's such a quick uh, blink-and-you-miss-it interaction, but she talks to uh Doug as she's leaving and it's all about how she had like a boyfriend that her parents didn't approve of because he was Jewish and that he um she that's after this yeah right I know that's after this I just said we we didn't we didn't really like highlight it because like like I said it's a blink and you miss it type of interaction and I just I hated I kind of hated how they just sort of trivialized her mental illness to further Doug's like lost love story, like where he's just feeling sad sack for himself because his girl, his girlfriend who he broke up with is getting engaged. And I don't know, like it felt like a weird, like oversimplification of mental illness that we could pin this woman's entire depression on the fact that she broke up with a boyfriend 40 years ago. Like that just seemed, yeah, that just seemed kind of like, I don't know. Kind of gross to me, but maybe that's just me. 
No, that's fair. But yep, yeah, so they quick discuss her depression and make it absolutely not anything important or a, le- or a learning moment for the audience. And then we go back over to Benton is asking the coma patient's wife if she will allow medical donation of the organs. And she's like, well, no, people people wake up from comas all the time. He, he might be okay. Have you tried anything? Like, you need to get a second opinion. She just immediately, like, completely shuts down. It's like, no, I'm not signing that. You need to, you need to figure out what's going on. Like, he's so warm. I want a second opinion. I want a second opinion. She, That's how she, she was my that. least favorite side character actress or actor we've had. I think maybe other than the guy from the pilot who beat on Green's chest, I think she might be the the <laughs> worst actress we've had so far. Like, I did not like her. She gets better later on, but, man, this first one – uh, where she just comes blowing into the room. Like, I just, she does not play it. She does not pull it off. Um, actress's name is Cynthia Edinger or Edinger. I don't know. Um, her main credits are Frailty, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, and License to Wed, which I feel like this filmography just got weirder with every entry. Um, yeah, just nothing. She's nobody who like jumps out at me, but. She's been in a bunch of shit, so good for her for still getting jobs despite being what appears to be a trash tier actress in this episode. But good for her. But yeah, then oh hi Linda, Linda shows up, and we have a clip of it. So here we go. Hi, have you seen Doc? Sorry, Doctor Green, are you scared? Uh, no. My company is sponsoring an emergency physicians conference in Aspen. Tax deductible. Continuing medical education credits, free lessons. <laughs> oh, hi, sweetie. Linda's drumming up business. Mm, residents don't buy pharmaceuticals. They just like your freebies. Mm. You like my freebies? That's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> I left the tux in your locker. Uh, any luck finding bargains? Oh, I haven't been able to go out yet. Do you have any idea where I can get Jen in 15 minutes or less? Well, I'm a killer shopper. You wouldn't mind? I've got some last-minute shopping to do. What's your price range? Huh. <laughs> I get it. Strictly budget basement. Same as Doug. I see we're That's... right back to Linda being useless. I was about to say, just when Linda had grown on me with how helpful she was last episode, and then she goes ahead with that attitude? Yeah. Ugh. Just being a tiny bit judgy there, Linda. You know, you could probably use up just, just a little bit. That's not not a great look for you. A little bit. But nice of her to offer to go help. It is true. And she does end up coming through. But... <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, shut up. I didn't mean it like that, but fine if you're going to take it that way. Um, so then we go over and we see Carter has changed. And he's put on a silly little bow tie, which was his secret Santa gift from Halle, which is very cute. And then he asks... Susan, who's walking by, if she opened hers yet. I think he might be her secret Santa. Susan has not opened her present yet. And then, and then, and then, we see a familiar, we hear a familiar voice coming down the hall. Carter turns a corner, and Madam X, the one and only Rosemary, not Rosemary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the worst hype man. Madam X, the one and only Rosemary Clooney. Matt, or what's her name? Kavanaugh? Mrs. Kavanaugh? Mary Kavanaugh. Mary Kavanaugh is 
walking down the hall. She sees Carter, thinks he's a dapper young busboy, or bellhop. Yes. Bellhop. Fuck, I fucking suck. And she hands him her coat and her luggage and says, I'd like a suite with a view of the lake, and would you take my bag up, please? And it's like, all right. Hey, what's up? And just, you know, at least they know who she is this time and who her family is. Yeah, they don't have to spend, like, half the episode being like, what the fuck? Who is this woman? Carter's just like, yay, my friend's back, but, oh, my friend's back. Like, this can't be good. Yeah, something has clearly gone wrong if this interaction is taking place. Yeah, so she looks healthy enough, but clearly the Alzheimer's has gotten worse. Yeah, she doesn't recognize Carter, which is sad. My sweet baby. Yeah, this is, a, like I mentioned in, when we introed Patrick in this episode, like, I, I'm happy to see her, but I do feel like it's, you know, she's here basically just to sing Christmas carols. Like, she's not really here for any narrative purpose. And so, like, it's kind of, I feel like she's wasted a little bit. Like, I, you know, I'm, obviously she's an amazing singer and I'm happy to hear her, you know, and everything. But just, like, I don't know. I just feel like if they're going to bring her back, do something with her, you know? Yeah. So then we go check in with Benton, uh, who he fucked up. Uh, it uh, all of his crazy hacker typing has come back to bite him in the ass because he called the transplant teams and the families of the recipients. Bad move, rookie mistake, Benton. Yeah. Uh, before he had the patients, uh, well, the family of the patients consent, uh, and Hicks is pissed. So, you know, all that goodwill from last episode where they were reattaching legs in the ER, that's all fucking, that's gone. Now we're, now she's got to play the boss and uh, she is not happy with him and she leaves him holding the bag. She's like, yeah, she's like, you got to, yeah, what are you going to tell these people? Even though it's really her fault that this shit's fucked up because she's the one with the problem. Yeah, I mean, again, like, going back to the beginning of the episode, I get Benton's point of view, and I think ultimately Benton is in the right. Um, I don't necessarily think that means she's in the wrong, but I do think that ultimately he's got the more medically pragmatic point of view. Like, he's like, I want to help people with this person, with the, you know, with these organs, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gray area for sure. But, yeah, it's... It's not a good look for anybody involved. And then Benton quick talks to Mark about it, and he's like, I've got a Gork's wife who won't sign consent. What is a Gork? I'm sure it's an acronym for something. No, I think it's just like a slang yeah. for a I, person who's brain dead. Yeah, I don't know if it... I've never heard that I, I've used it in the sense of like, uh, like this, this lawnmower's Gorked. Like if something's broken and like not able to be fixed, like... Which I feel like is the the context in which they're using it here, but it 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 sounds borderline like slurish, like it's very it's very clumsy. A little bit, um. But so yeah, it was just it seemed really disrespectful to be talking about a human that way. Um. And then he asks Mark, like, "Hey, can you maybe talk to her, like pry consent from her? Because I sure suck at it." Mark's like, "Yeah, I'll try." Now he doesn't have to worry about going shopping, though, because Linda's going. So he's like, yeah, I got it. And Santa's back. Yay. But not in the fun way. <laughs> oh. San- Santa's not breathing. Oh, God. <laughs> Carter's feel- Carter feels really bad because he let Santa leave AMA. 
So we go back and check in on Coma Dude's wife, and she is uh, sitting on the stairs. This is the better of the the two big moments with her. Like she, you know, her initial impression was not a good one, at least for me. But she's a little bit better here. Um, so Green is talking to her, and she's um, smoking a cigarette on the stairs, which is I don't feel like that should be allowed, and wouldn't be today, but. Nope. Um, we find out that they've been separated um, for a while. Uh, her and the brain dead patient—they'd been separated for several months. She hadn't talked to him in about five months, um, and he had called her the day before to ask her to spend Christmas together. She told him no, but in kind of a like playing hard to get sort of way. I don't know. Like it's very like their their whole relationship dynamic sounds like it was very childish, but. Um, she was like, I just want him to know that I still love him and you know, yada yada. It's her big like emotional scene. Um and her outfit is very nineties. Like she is nineties to the gills. And oh god. They killed Santa. Poor Carter looks so broken hearted. They couldn't get him back. We just cut over and Susan's calling time. And Carter is immediately like putting his hands on his head and he's like, Oh my god, I killed Santa. And that line for me was one of the like clunkiest fucking things in this whole episode. Like I did not like it at all. And I felt like they could have accomplished the same thing with just a look like Carter, you know, like much like you mentioned earlier, Lauren, like he didn't have to vocalize the fact that he was uncomfortable with how quickly they were trying to turn this guy into an organ harvest. Um, I feel like they could have done a similar thing here where he did not have to vocalize the fact that he was upset that the guy that he let out, earlier in the episode came back and died he could have just looked melancholy and looked you know sad about it and didn't have to come out with the like goofiest line possible i killed santa yeah like come on we have a quick checkup with murray he's still intubated he still hasn't really communicated much i know you can't talk while you're intubated but he still hasn't really like quite woken up yet to the full extent so they're still not sure how he's doing and if if he's like mentally safe from the brain damage at this point they're still kind of waiting it out to see how he's gonna come through and then oh my sweetheart mrs cavanaugh hears patrick singing and comes into the room to join him so let's give it a listen Bearing gifts, we travel far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to the Perfect life. His parents went away on vacation and left him with the neighbors. Her family left her with a cousin. I guess they needed to break her. All summer's gotten a lot worse. It's the kind of wholesomeness that I didn't know I needed. I feel like this is a good point to plug for all of you non-Grinches out there. But I found out Rosemary Clooney has an entire Christmas album that's available on Amazon Prime Music. And it's lovely. Yeah, but then we go over to Susan. Uh, she's like, I paged Div twice and he hasn't answered. And Malik was like, I thought he quit. And Susan just 
looks completely befuddled. And yeah, Malik is just like, yeah, I thought he quit. And, you know, yeah, in actuality, he totally quit and totally left without seeing or telling Susan at all. And I think we mentioned this a uh, couple episodes back. I forget it was episode nine or ten. Yeah, episode nine ended up being ended up being his last episode, just entirely. Um, I looked uh, looked looked around at his IMDb, and yeah, he's not credited in any other episodes. Bibbs actor, but yeah, she asked Carter to give her a ride because Chloe borrowed her car, uh, borrowed her car uh, to go check on Div, and we'll check in with them a little bit later. And we switch over to Doug getting ready in the break room, putting that sharp, sharp tux on, and oh damn, he looks great. But he's getting ready for this party that he's going to with Linda for Christmas. Prom night? Something like that. Linda picking you up? I'm meeting her there. There's cocktails at Jack's place, and then on to Winnetka for 200 of her parents' close personal friends. Do I detect a lack of enthusiasm? Mm -hmm. We'd be putting in chest tubes. <laughs> Mark, we've got a bunch of choir kids in a minor fender bender. Anything serious? Only cuts and scrapes. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. See ya. <laughs> you okay? Thought it was about her all the time. Did you ever tell her that? No, 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 no. Why not? Because I was afraid. Afraid of what? You might say no. Afraid you might say yes. I, it's too late. She's not married yet. It's Mark's fault. Right. Yep, this is all Mark's fault. I, I normally, I love Mark. He is my favorite character of this entire series, but... Not in this moment. He's trying to be a bro and be supportive, and it just ends up encouraging Doug in a way he doesn't need to be encouraged. He was doing such a good job moving on, somewhat, and Mark has to go and say that. Yeah, Doug doesn't need any motivation to be a human trash bag. He can do that perfectly fine all on his own. And then we switch back over to Benton, immediately going back in for the kill to try and get this guy's wife to persuade her to let the organs go he's like he's gone like can this could help so many people also he mentions in an earlier scene when they still have him in the trauma room he mentions that they've got about an hour to get the consent before they're going to start losing organs and when he says that you can tell by the light in the room that it's still light out outside and not even like dusk but like fully light out outside and it's dark out when they have this interaction i feel like much more than an hour has passed by and that this dude's organs are worthless hey it's winter the sun sets that's so true fast yeah in chicago winter so yeah from there uh we go back and check in with uh susan and carter they've showed up to div's apartment uh susan has a key for his apartment so they were serious enough to have keys and do the whole like because they're, they're they're even like shown sleeping together like not like you know actually sleeping in the same room at some point so i feel like this was serious enough that he should have at least given her a heads up but yeah that was like episode yeah two. But, um, so she lets herself in, the phone is ringing off the hook, place is torn to shit, it's like half packed up, but it also looks like they left, that he left in a hurry, and just packed all of his shit and moved out. And then Carter 
brings her home, gets her home nice and safe, like a proper gentleman. Yeah. Um, then does something a little bit less gentlemanly and, you know, maybe, maybe the wrong moment to do this, Carter. Tries to put the moves on, on Susan and... But real smooth about it. He, yeah, he shoots his but shot. still does not succeed. Which I wish he did. And I wish this would have been the start of something beautiful. But, yeah. but no, <laughs> we have to try to ship Mark and Susan for the... I'm imitating the writers. I ship Susan with everybody because she's perfect. She's everyone's favorite hot mess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tries, gets rebuffed. But Carter ends up getting uh, a present from Susan because Susan had brought it to give to Div. And she's like, well, here, you can have this. And Carter, just like a, just like this whole dork that he is, just Man starts. child. Exactly. Just starts dancing around the hallway in this new, in this lovely new robe that Susan gave him. And. <laughs> I, sh- I should point out this is after she has closed the door and gone inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is by himself in this hallway and in not his apartment building. Dancing around in a bathrobe. <laughs> yeah. Just over the rest of his clothes. It's great. And then the neighbors come through and laugh at him. And then we get Doug um, in a taxi pulling up out front to a cafe where he's where he's meeting Linda. And... The guy's like, all right, is this your stop? And he goes, oh, yeah, sorry, and hands him the money and gets out. And then the minute he gets out of the cab, he looks at the cafe, all the bougie people coming out of it, changes his mind and tries to chase the cab back down to get in it to go somewhere else. Wonder where he's going to go. Can't get the cab, starts walking down the street, and he's walking down the Magnificent Mile at Michigan and Chicago. He is in downtown Chicago. Which is absolutely lovely this time of year. It sure is. Despite it being a total tourist trap, it is one of the most beautiful parts in the city this time of year. It's so good to walk down. And I absolutely believe that somebody, some executive, saw this episode and saw him in that tux there and thought that he would make a good Bruce Wayne. Because he looks Bruce Wayne as fuck in that tuxedo. And uh, this is shortly before he starts getting you know, rumored to be the... I mean, we're still a few years away from Batman and Robin, but like, I feel like they would be starting the pre-production and all that stuff for that here very soon. And uh, I feel like he is, this was the like, the casting film for that. They were like, look at this guy. That could be Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and I could see that. Did anybody sure. else peep that old ass Arby's logo when he's walking away? That oh, yeah. is some early 90s trash right there. I love it. We pop over to Mark in the break room. Linda's given him the present that she picked up for Jen, and he's quick peeking under in the box and seeing what it is to make sure it's good enough. And um, I should mention earlier in the episode, Mark mentions that he got um, got Jen a dustbuster last year. <laughs> so that's that's important to note for what comes up next because Lydia pops in to grab something and is like, "Oh, what's that? You know, Jen's Christmas present. You have good taste." And it's it's the beautiful satin lingerie or something. Yeah, it's a beautiful nighty. Yeah, and um, Lydia's like, all my ex ever got me was a vacuum cleaner. Healthy relationships. So we're going to jump over and get our resolution. Well, most of our resolution with uh, Hicks, Benton and Hicks. They are now harvesting 
brain dead guy's organs. We I, I don't remember if we mentioned earlier or not, but Benton does finally succeed. He gets his consent that he's looking for from the brain dead guy's wife. And so they harvest his organs, they stop his heart, um, and then they immediately start getting the kidneys, the liver, the heart, all the all of the important stuff. Um, and they've got teams standing by with choppers. And the, the last one they're waiting on is, um, I think it's the heart? It's, yeah, yeah, there's like, it's going to Cincinnati and there's like bad weather or something. So they're waiting on a, a chopper that can get get to them. Well, that and that's got to that's gotta be the last thing they get to. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they want to keep the blood flow going to all the, the organs until the last possible minute. So, right. Benton got what he wanted after all. And after that, we go to Susan in her apartment. Uh, she is opening Carter's present, which turns out to be a very pretty music box. And, you know, I like I like little things like that. Yeah, it was a very sweet touch and very thoughtful of Carter. I did yeah. not love Chloe coming up and immediately starting to shake it. That was not my favorite. That's kind it's of... Chloe. Yeah, that's kind of just Chloe, though, really, at this point. Um, but yeah, Chloe does come in and ask her where the heck Div is, and you know Susan explains the whole situation, and Chloe's just like, "Oh, I've been dumped by lots of guys. I got over it, and you'll get over it too." Like Chloe is not exactly relationship goals. Emotionally intelligent. <laughs> yeah, Chloe's not any kind of goals at this point. That's fair, especially now that we find out that she's pregnant, Oof. and it's going to be little Susie is going to be the kid's name. She's always, having a little girl. I always forget about little Susie. Yeah, it turn, it becomes a bit of a plot thread mm-hmm. later, back when we, later when we have that whole uh, crossover with Third Watch. Yep, and the way she tells Susan is she gets, she's like, oh, I got you something. And it's a little beautiful red ornament that just says Susan in beautiful like white writing. She goes, though, you might have to share it with the baby because we're naming it after you. What just, baby? Just <laughs> like, what? Like, oh, God. What? So then, complete douchebaggery Christmas wrap-up. You get Doug showing up at the restaurant where Carol and Tag are celebrating their engagement. And he confronts Carol in the middle of the party. And this is her chasing him outside and them having that confrontation outside. Go home, Doug. I love you. You love some old idea of me. And you love me. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You haven't changed, Doug, and the sad thing is you don't even know it. All right, then I will change. I am not asking you to change. Carol, listen to me. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want you, Doug. Leave me alone. What the hell's he doing here? Leaving. No, I'm not. What's going on? You're coming home with me. You need to get some help. Get out of here. Okay, go ahead and tell him that you don't love me. Tell him that you don't think about me when you're with him. Hey, 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 please stop, 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 please. God. Stay out of my life, Doug. Good Foley work on that punch. Just, just. Yeah. Yeah, Tag just coming in with that beautiful right hook mm. kind of what we wanted to i was gonna say he's just doing what we've all been dreaming of and definitely what doug deserves because going to someone's engagement party and pulling this ugh. peak trash doug in this moment i'm really sad that he and carol get a happy ending not sorry to spoil it but like that's what we're here for is to reflect on the impact of the overall show moments like this 
make me go, no, Carol, stay with me. I know. I kind of agree. Like, I kind of was thinking the same thing. I was like, I'm really pissed that they end up together now. But at the same time, though, I do have to keep reminding myself that Doug does go through quite a bit of growth over the next few seasons. And I still maintain that Doug, Doug's doesn't really begin to sh- which is crazy to think about you know George Clooney is undeniably the biggest star to ever come out of ER and it's crazy to think that essentially the entire first season for him is kind of a lost season like it's he's very underdeveloped and and under um under like he's not fully formed as a character yet and yeah, right. and we don't really get that with him until season two. I feel like season two is where he really hits his stride. So I'll be excited to see the the evolution of Doug as we go forward. Yeah. So after that little trash fest on from Doug, uh, we we conclude the successful organ harvest of the snowmobiler, and Peter, I'm guessing as a sign of respect, you know, doesn't just want to like staple the guy up. For some reason, he actually like wants to sew him up properly. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's the resolution of what... him coming around to Hicks's point of view. You know that he's he's not just a bag of organs that can help you know other people. He is also a person with a life and a family. And so, yeah, I feel like it's the nice little like tie things up in a bow kind of thing, metaphorically and semi literally. Oh yeah, true. Yep, and then. We go through to Mrs. Cavanaugh, walking down the halls of the ER, singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I'm not crying, you're crying. I definitely welled up at this moment, but because I'm going through my own stuff. Um, and we find we have a little montage seeing how everything's wrapped up. We find out Murray, the little boy, is okay. He talks to his papa. They hug it out. Um, Benton on the roof, dropping off the heart to the helicopter guys and then just looking real proud of himself just everybody's good everybody's got their happy ending except for doug who's trash and doesn't deserve it overall i would say not my favorite episode but not my least favorite this is solidly somewhere in the middle for me out of these 11 that we've watched so far it's it's got a hard act to follow following right up after blizzard um which is arguably not only a better episode just in a bottle but it's also a better christmas episode and this one is the like specifically a christmas episode so it's like you know when you get these like gimmicky episodes that you get every season on these network shows where you have to have a thanksgiving episode or a halloween episode or a christmas episode like you know in order for it to be memorable it has to be good and it's because otherwise it's just a throwaway it's like a, a greeting card it's like okay cool bye it's disposable and that's kind of how this one feels yeah all right so that should just about wrap up our episode for today uh thank you all very much for listening as always uh you can find us on twitter with the username at set the tone er we are on facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast and we are at setting the tone podcast on instagram uh you can also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode, which we should be doing before long here. And you can also help us unlock a monthly bonus show where we just talk about you know what movies we've seen, what we're paying attention to, attention, what we're paying attention to in pop culture, 
different current events, different stuff like that. Um, our theme music today was, as always, was provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L, uh, as well as on uh, my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell. We do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little uh, mock trial. Uh, we have also recently launched our own Patreon, patreon.com slash the popular court. Don't, don't drop your donation here. It, it goes to all the same places, so don't worry about it. Um, but um, <laughs> we are probably one of our more, ro- more recent episodes by the time you're hearing this um, is a kind of larger discussion we call those episodes judicial reviews um but it's the judicial review of the blue shell and that's kind of just a teaser for uh game elements that we find not only the blue shells in there but it's not the only thing we talk about but um game elements that we just kind of think are bullshit so um not quite Mm -hmm. sure exactly what final form that episode's gonna take just yet but um we're excited about it all right and lauren where can folks find you at Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at Lobob92345. Meme trash. It's great. And I am on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's J-M-3-R. Um, and thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. We greatly appreciate your support. Um, please join us again next week for episode 12, which is called Happy New Year. And please have a great week. And, you know, whatever holiday you may have been celebrating throughout this last month or so, We hope it was a good one for you. Yep. Happy holidays, guys. 